Well, welcome to Life Church today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you. I was gone last week, and uh, Noelle Miller, our director of Family Focus for Life Church, did a phenomenal job as she talked about. Yeah, give her a big hand. A great message on don't ask why, but why not? And uh, if you haven't heard that, go to uh, lifechurchwi.com. You can download the message and hear, hear her sermon. Uh, and just a great challenge to all of us. And for me, um, I was kind of representing you, in essence, uh, on, kind of on your behalf. And uh, just uh, in basically in Europe, we, we, we support quite a few church plants, ministries, and outreaches. And so last weekend, I was in Liverpool. Uh, it took me 24 hours basically to get out. I, I went to... Mitchell International twice. I don't know if you've ever done that, but uh, had to do that because of rain and storms and, and got in, missed a, an early morning meeting there in, um, in Liverpool, was there that afternoon. I had some other meetings working with a local church there called Liverpool One. Luke and Emma Bryant are uh, a pastor couple that we support. We got involved with them as they were launching their church about 18 months ago. They've been out for about two years now, and uh, I had the chance to preach uh, right there, they're at Hope University in downtown Liverpool. Beautiful grounds and facilities that they're renting at this point. And uh, it was packed. I love it. I felt like I was stepping back in time. There were 135 people there, and people were sitting on the floor. And just there was no room. And, and Luke said to me, Aaron, what, what, what can we do different? And I just said, bro, it's real simple. you got to do another church service time, uh, and, uh, or you got to find another building. And so we went and actually looked at a facility that they're trying to buy. Uh, and they need 100,000 pounds, which is about 150,000 U.S. dollars, which is a lot of money in any context. Uh, and in seven days, God had already provided 70,000 pounds uh, for that project. I said, man, at this rate, dude, you just keep going because you're getting 10,000 pounds a day. Holla. So anyhow, it was just good stuff. I uh, left there, met up with Michael McNamee, who runs Convoy of Hope Europe, one of the largest humanitarian aid organizations in Europe. Actually, we have uh, Mackenzie Mueller. Uh, Mackenzie's there this summer. Uh, she's one of our LLC students, and she's actually working with them. And so they're in Brussels, Belgium. And so I was with the director, Michael McNamee. And uh, Michael and I met in uh, Madrid and spent a day. This was like, it wasn't a vacation. We were just in a different country every day. So uh, just, uh, you know, I just did Europe out of, a, out of a, basically an overnight bag for seven days and just kind of washed and wore as I went along. And, uh, but there, got, got a chance to, to meet with uh, a lady who is running a, uh, basically um, a house. Uh, I wasn't planning on going this long, but I'm, I'm already here, so I'm, I'm out here. Uh, but uh, uh, Fiona, she, her husband is the, the superintendent of the Sons of God for the country of Spain. He was actually out of country speaking. Her son uh, is a partner in a law firm, a very sharp young Spaniard, uh, who they are the number one and only uh, uh, attorney uh, legal service uh, uh, law office, if you would, in the country of Spain that are dealing with uh, human rights and especially with sex trafficking. There are NGOs that are working there that have uh, attorneys on retainer, but no firms. So her son, uh, this pastor and his wife, uh, Fiona and her husband, her, their son is uh, running this law firm. And uh, there are 900,000 men that see a prostitute every single day in Spain. And the majority of all of those are trafficked women, which means they have no identity, they have no legalization, they're illegal. So we went with, to the prison, met with the director of the prison there in Madrid, went in and saw three ladies that had just been trafficked, that had been picked up in a, in a sting operation, in essence, have no paperwork, no anything. And so these women have no identity. 
They don't, they're, they're nobody to anybody. They're a sex slave. And uh, Fiona's going in, and we went in and uh, carried in. They have no undergarments that are provided for them by the state. They have no deodorant. They have nothing. There's no hygiene, no anything. And so uh, Joyce Meyer is giving $1,500 a month to provide that for with Fiona. I mean, Fiona's only been doing this for 12 months. I thought, I mean, this has maybe been years. And then this lady is, like, amazing. And the sweetest, kindest, soft-spoken, the most soft-spoken woman that you'll meet. And it's just, and I said, why are you doing this? I mean, you lead thousands of churches in this nation. And she said, who's going to speak for them if we don't speak? And so went in there, met the ladies, met, met that, went to their, um, their uh, safe house, in essence, uh, there for, for the women that are getting, uh, that they have helped. And uh, met a lady from the Dominican Republic that I will never forget for the rest of my life. Her name is Beauty. And as we were leaving, I, I gave her a hug, you know, kind of one of those good Pentecostal sister church side hugs, you know. And because, I mean, they've, they've been violated. And men have been the ones that have done this atrocity to them. She's going through waves of anxiety, just panic attack after panic attack. And what's happening is Fiona will rescue these women, bring them to the safe house. Her son will do the legal services in order to procure, basically, uh, to go through immigration in order to get their identities back. And then they'll help them reestablish themselves. It's a very long process. And as I, and, and, uh, as I hug, hugged her, she apologized for the brokenness of her back. She had protruding um, bones because she had been so beaten and so abused uh, that her body was now disfigured and just tears coming down her face. Of course, I, I lost it. I mean, I, I was done. And I just said, there's no need to apologize, you know. And then she says this. In that cellar, I cried out to God. And you are my answer. Wow. So from there I went on and, and uh, was in Portugal and, and Lisbon and worked with a church planter there, seeing what God's doing and some amazing things. Yeah, this is, this is only Tuesday so far. And, uh, and then from there went on to, uh, to uh, the headquarters there for Convoy of Hope Europe in Brussels, Belgium, and was able to spend some time with uh, the summer interns that are there from across the United States. And, uh, and see what's going on. And I just want to just remind you, Jesus is still on the throne. He's still building this church. And there's nothing that works like the local church works. It's the hope of the world. And as I was able to sit across the table with Fiona and, and, and with their team there in Madrid and able to say, we, we're going to help you. We're, we're going to give you money. Because there's a church in Germantown, Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in Pewaukee, Wisconsin, called Life Church, that believes in helping people. We believe in the work of the kingdom, and we believe that God doesn't hear cries and just goes untouched by them, but he hears the cries of the people, and he responds, and he responds to his people. So we're going to help you. To that church planner who just needed some support, we're going to help you. Luke and Emma, we're going to help you. We're going to be there. So uh, needless to say, i got a lot of money to raise this week. That's my goal this week. Uh, but uh, it's just some amazing things that God's done. And, man, speaking as far as raising money, and I hadn't even got to preaching yet, I'm sorry. But uh, our students, did you know your students this weekend uh, on a thing called $10,000 day raised right at $7,000 in West Campus? Yeah, give a big hand for all of our students. <laughs> Woo! That was just for missions. And, uh, and so, uh, so they did that today, and we're excited about it. Kids were working. 
Suburban kids. This should be like on the cover of the newspaper tomorrow. Suburban kids work and are smiling. Because it doesn't happen in my house. Can I get a witness in the house? You know what I'm talking about. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. But they, they were, and, and, and West Campus, I have to give props up. Brad and Courtney Etzel, who are West Campus uh, youth and kids pastors there, they raised, uh, let me make sure I got $2,100 just in one afternoon alone. Mm. I don't know what that says to the, to the campus pastors here at Life Church at the Germantown campus, but you got beat. I mean, throw down the whole down. All right, anyhow, I'm going to go on. If you have your Bibles, turn me to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1, concluding this series called Ordinary to Extraordinary. And I love this story. Listen, if you, if you, if you watch, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you watch Lifetime, the, the, the TV channel Lifetime, come on, some of the men in the room are going, oh, it's me, okay. Uh, if you watch Lifetime, this would be a Lifetime story. I'm just telling you, this would be a Lifetime, like a Lifetime original series. This, this book of Ruth, just these few short chapters. Uh, it's one of the greatest love stories in scripture. But it's a phenomenal story about redemption. It's a phenomenal story about when God puts his ordinary, on, his extraordinary onto our ordinary and I want to walk through this because there's principles from here as we kind of end this up on common denominators or keys that you see every time in Scripture as God begins to do this. As God puts his super onto our natural, as God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. There's just some keys here that you find in every one of those situations. So Ruth chapter 1, if you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Starting in verse 1, the Bible says, And in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, if you know anything about the history, Moab and Israel had a very tumultuous past in, in dealing. Verse 2, the man's name was Amalek, and his wife name, wife's name was Naomi. And the, sons of his two, his, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephraelites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and they lived there. And now Amalek, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. No problem because her two sons can still take care of her. But they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. And after they lived there for ten years, both Malon and Kilion died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. Now, the story of Ruth is a story of a young Moabite woman who marries into this Hebrew family, into this uh, Amalek from Bethlehem, into his family. And, and um, basically, Amalek's family goes there for, for work. They're, they're just, they're moving there. They're migrating there for work. And Ruth is married to Killian uh, and had been married for about 10 years. And through uncertain circumstances, we don't know really what happened. Amalek dies, so Naomi is left uh, a widow. And then Killian uh, and uh, Malon both die. Both of these brothers die. And here's what, and, and they leave basically three widowed women that are the mother-in-law and the two daughter-in-laws. Now, let me give you some context on this in, in, in today's, because we, we just kind of skim past that. Here's what would have happened, according to the Hebrew culture. Uh, Naomi would have been taken care of by her two sons. They would have made sure that mom was taken care of because there was no social security, there was no government aid, there was nothing to do that. Okay, you were on your own, and actually, to be a widow, you were considered cursed, or you were, and you were basically just um, you were a plight to society in essence. 
Um, there's still places in the world where if you're a widow, you're, you're viewed with a very superstitious lens that you're cursed and, and that you're, you're very much marginalized. But this has been very much the case in this day and time. The problem is, is that, is that Killian and, and Malon, they both, these two sons, they both die. And what would have happened if the older one, if one had died, then the, the other brother would have, taken, would have taken care of the mom, but would have taken his brother's wife, the widow, his sister-in-law, to be his wife as well. And in doing so, would have been able to provide for and take care of her. That's not the case. All three men of the entire household are gone. And you have three women who are left to fend for themselves in a society that did not view women highly. You have to remember, Jewish men on a regular basis in this day and time would get up and pray a prayer. Lord, I thank you today that I'm not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. I'm being very honest. That, that was, that's how they viewed women in that society. It wasn't viewed in a high. There was no equal rights. There was none of this. And so the reality was these women had no chance, no hope, no whatever. And the only hope that, that Orpah and that Ruth had was to go, to go get remarried, to basically just do what they could do and go get remarried. And, uh, and, and this just leads me to something that happens. Life happens, doesn't it? Things happen in life. Circumstances happen beyond your, your control. I mean, it just does. It, it, it happens. And, and, and Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 makes a statement. I love what it says. It says that time and chance happen to us all. Circumstances happen to all of us. We find ourselves in situations that we didn't plan to be in. We, we find ourselves in situations that, that we underestimated a, a decision or we overestimated what someone told us or things just happen. I mean, with Ruth and with Naomi and with Orpah, these ladies had no, they, they had no choice. They, they, they were literally a victim of their circumstance. And what's interesting is that we don't get to control what happens to us, but we do get to control what happens in us and our response. I don't get to control what happens to me. Things can happen around me. Things can happen in my life. Things can happen beyond my control. Life happens. Ecclesiastes is right. Solomon is right. That time and chance happen to us all. But the reality is, is I do get to control what happens in me, and I get to, re- and I get to control my response. I cannot control the ordinary in my life, but I can control how God puts his extra onto my ordinary, how God puts his super onto my natural. And if I'm going to be a candidate for that, or if I'm just going to lie and die in the plight of my situation. Let's read on in verse 6. So when Naomi heard that in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, remember there's a drought going on, there's a recession going on, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to to return home. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Verse eight, then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. And may the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Look at verse nine. May the Lord grant each one of you that you will find rest in the home of another husband. Naomi, is, she's, she can't, but Ruth and Orpah can. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. So she must have been a good mother-in-law for them to cry. You know what I'm talking about? That's just another thought right there. <laughs> Don't even make me go down that road. I have a wonderful mother-in-law, but I'm just saying, because she's watching online. I love you, Dixie. Okay. <laughs> and he said to her, and they said to her, we will go back. And he said to her, we will go back to you and your people. But Naomi said, look at verse 11. 
Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husband? Meaning, I'm beyond childbearing age. I'm not going to have any more children. Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. That's a whole other message for a whole other day. Even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if a husband, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait for them to grow up? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand is turned against me. Circumstances. Verse 14. And at this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. See, your response will always determine your outcome. Your response, I'm telling you, I'm fixing to preach better than you're shouting. Your response will always determine your outcome. An ordinary response in this situation, a rational response, would be exactly what Orpah did. And that's simply that, to go take care of herself. This has happened. I didn't choose this. I didn't want this. This wasn't what I desired. But the reality is, here's what's happened. So I'm going to pick my stuff up. I'm going to take what I have. I'm going to go back to my homeland, and I'm going to try again to to find a husband and to live out these lives and these years that God's given me. Naomi's right. This makes rational sense. This is good sense. And she does what would ordinarily take place and happen. But not Ruth. Ruth's response is extraordinary. It's, It's different. Her response is, no, 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 no. I'm not going to leave you to die, Naomi. I don't know how we're going to fix this. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't have the answer. But here's what I do know. I'm not going to leave you here. I'm going to stick. I'm going to walk with you. We're going to figure this out together. And if we die, then we die together. But you're not going to die alone. You're not going to be left alone. I'm going to hear your cries. I hear your grief. I hear your hurting. I'm hurting. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I am choosing to do what I think is right in the moment. Our response will always determine our outcome. Orpah, she decided, and rationally and reasonably so, to be served, to take care of herself. But Ruth decided that her response was going to be extraordinary that she was going to serve. Just a side note, there's not a book in the Bible called Orpah, but there is one called Ruth. Because God, in his infinite wisdom, begins to show up, and he begins to do something. And I want you to see what Ruth does. I want you to see what motivates Ruth's heart. I want you to understand why the book is written. I want you to understand why there's a book called Ruth and not a book called Orpah. I want you to understand why God puts his extra onto ordinary situations in some people's lives and doesn't do it in other people's lives. Because contrary to popular opinion, it's not superstitious. It's not pie in the sky. It's not out there. There's some keys to this that we see right here in this passage. And again, I could give you six different passages today, and it's the same keys. First is surrender. Surrender. There has to be this surrender. There has to be this point where I don't have the answers. I don't know what the outcome is. I don't know what's going to happen. But here's what I do know. I'm surrendered to this. And what I mean by surrender is where you completely surrender yourself to God. I mean, verse 14, and at this they wept aloud, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth surrendered her life. 
Ruth said, Orpah, you go, but I'm staying. Orpah, you do what you need to do, but I'm going to do what I need to do. You do what seems right and natural, and even what your mother-in-law is telling you, what Naomi is saying, but I'm telling you, I'm going to surrender myself. If I give my life, if I die here, if I thrive here, if I succeed here, if nobody ever knows who I am, this is what I'm going to do because it's the right thing to do. Surrender. It's coming to the end of yourself. Listen, we find ourselves in situations and circumstances that are beyond our control, but how we respond to those circumstances makes all the difference in the world. If anybody, you know, uh, hey, won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song, that's the book, right? Don't read it too super spiritual. The reality is, is these women, their father-in-law is gone, their husbands are gone, and they're out, and they did nothing. And on top of that, there's an economic recession. There's famine in the land. There's no food. These people are having to migrate because there's no food. And Ruth doesn't have a plan. Ruth doesn't have the answer. Ruth doesn't have connections or resources or a bank account or a 401k or a way to float herself on credit cards until she can get a job. All she knows is that she's going to cling to Naomi. Not because Naomi has anything, but because Naomi has nothing. Surrender. You want God to put his extra onto your ordinary? You have to come to the end of yourself. As long as there's you involved, <coughs> excuse me, as long as there's me involved, as long as there's pride involved, as long as I have the ability to do something, I have the wherewithal, God sits back and goes, go on with your bad self. You don't need me. I'll be a Starbucks grabbing a skinny cinnamon dolce latte at 190 degrees. Oh, wow, I was in Belgium this week and I had true Belgian waffles. Oh, can I get a witness in the house tonight? I just thought you put syrup on waffles. No, no, no. Anyhow, I'm just saying that's what God's doing. And in in essence, he's just saying you do what you need to do. But you ever gotten to the place where there's no way out but up? There's no place to the left. There's no place to the right. You don't have any money. You don't have any connections. You don't have any resources. That's where these people are. And you come to a point of surrender and you find yourself there. And if that's where you are, man, you say, dude, I am broke as a joke, bro. I have nothing. You're kind of in a great position. Because you're in a position for God to show up and do something. You don't have the answer. Maybe you got money, but money won't buy and won't fix your situation. You're in a situation where God can show up. We overestimate this or underestimate this power of surrender. Of coming to the end of ourselves. I'm serious. It's not about me. It's not about you. Everything in our world tells us it's all about us, but it's not. What are you holding on to? What are you holding out? What are you holding in your hip pocket that you're just in case, just in case? What, 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 what is that? No. This was complete surrender. The second common denominator, the key that we see, is commitment. There's a commitment to God's leading. 
There's a commitment. She knows what's right. She understands what's right. She's been, she's been a part of this family for 10 plus years. And she's understood who the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was. She, she's heard the story. She understands it. She's been to church on Sunday. She's a part of this family. This young Moabite woman who had a pagan faith. Well, the, the Bible leads us to believe that, that there is some faith in Jehovah God. And that things are right and that things are good. And she has this, this, this commitment. This commitment. I love what John Maxwell says about Ruth. He said, Ruth illustrates that when we focus on our doing what is right, God will bless the fruit of our labor. To qualify for such a blessing, though, means placing responsibilities before results. Delayed gratification, in essence. Character must precede conduct. Faithfulness must precede fruitfulness. Let me say that again. You put, to qualify for such a a blessing means to place responsibility before results. You put the work in before you get the paycheck. Character before conduct. And faithfulness must precede fruitfulness. She had this resolve. Ruth has this resolve. She's committed to Naomi. She has this this commitment that I'm going to cling to you, that I'm going to be with you, that I'm not going to leave you, and it's going to be hard, and I don't have answers, and I don't... But here it is. There's a commitment to that. It's ultimately having faith in God's plan. For you and for I, it's, it's are you truly trusting in Jesus? Are you truly... We used to sing a song in the church years ago called Leaning on the Everlasting Arm. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on the Everlasting Arm. Oh, what precious peace. I'm leaning on the everlasting arm. I, I don't know how people in this world make it. I don't know how they process life and family and work and finance and, and globalization and uncertainties in, in the world and in the context in which we live in without knowing that they come to the end of themselves and they've got a commitment to God and to His leading. That's the only way I have any sanity is to understand that there are things I don't understand, to, to understand that there are things I have no control of, to, to be at peace, to understand that God's in control and that I'm not. And that if, but if I will trust in Him, if I will lean so heavily on His Word that if it were to move, I would fall, that God will take care of things, that truly my commitment to Him will precede the resources that I need. Do you believe that? I mean, let me, let me ask you it a better, different way. Do you live that way? When I'm sitting across the table in Madrid on Tuesday evening having dinner with Fiona and with, and with Michael and with a few missionaries. And I said, I don't know how, but I'm telling you, we're going to stand with you. Because that's what commitment does. I don't have all the answers. Give me a couple of days. We're going to figure this out. And the last thing that we see is trust. There's this trust, this trust in God, this trust with the outcome, this this trust. I love what she says. Look, look, Look in Ruth chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. Look, said Naomi, your sister in law, Orpah, is going to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. 
this kind of gives me some insight that Orpah, she had kind of been, been with the family, but not really following the God of the family. Look at verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back, on, turn back from you. I love these words. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. And your people, Naomi, will be my people. And your God, notice that's uppercase G, that's intentional, because in the, according to the original language, it would have been Jehovah. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Now that's some serious stuff. You can live a lot of places, but don't bury me. You know what I'm saying? Come on, don't shout. All right, here I'm just saying. I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. If I die on you, Naomi, may God just deal with me in hell. That's what she's saying right there. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. There comes this point where you put your trust in God. You, you, you step into him and you trust him with everything. I love the phrase because it's true. Greater the risk, greater the reward. Now, greater stupidity, more stupidity. I'm not talking about being stupid, all right? But greater the risk, greater the reward. Uh, Ruth just looks at Naomi and she just says, look, I'm going to be with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Whatever your God is, is your God is my God. I'm, I'm buying into this. this. This isn't just something. I wasn't here just because I was in love with your son and that's gone. I'm here because I'm a part of this family because I made a commitment to you. I made a commitment to God. And, and something's changed in my life in the last 10 years. This young Moabite woman becomes this woman of God. As you read the lineage of Jesus, she's in the lineage. She's Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother. I'm telling you, it's an awesome story. Because as they go back to the land, they find one named Boaz who owns thousands of acres, a wealthy landowner that catches the eye. He, Ruth catches his eye. And she becomes his redeemer. She becomes the one who this great love story unfolds. And for the rest of her days, she marries Boaz. And they take care of Naomi. Orpah's never heard of again. And Ruth and Boaz have a son named Obed. And Obed is a great young man, very wealthy. God blesses him because of the faith of his mother, this young Moabite woman who knew nothing of God. And Obed has a family of his own and has a son named Jesse. And Jesse's very successful and has many, many, many sons. And not the least, but the youngest of which is David, who will be the king of Israel. All because of a young Moabite woman who said, I will trust, I will commit, I will surrender. How do you do that? How does someone do that in their life? I don't care if it's in the Bible or if it's in 2013. The key is faith. It's faith. That's the key. Every, all of these things, trusting in God with the outcome and committing to God's leading and surrender to God ultimately is about faith. Faith to surrender your lives, regardless of the circumstance. Have you done that? 
Maybe you're here today and you're far away from God. And I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not going to try to sell you on this. I just simply want you to know that the Bible says, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you call on God, if you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and into your life, he will. Because with your mouth you confess, and with your heart you believe and are saved. It's that simple. In these next few moments, you can just sit right where you are and just say, Jesus, come into my heart and come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. That's where it begins. That's why we call it salvation. I'm saved for myself and saved unto God. But faith begins with a surrendered life. Maybe you're battling with issues in your life right now and you have one foot in the church, one foot in a relationship with God and one foot in the world and you keep trying to figure these things out and you keep trying to manage it and you keep trying to work it and you're tired and you're frustrated and you're irritated and you're angry and your kids don't want to be around you and your spouse doesn't want to be around you and there's problems in the marriage and there are problems at home. I'm telling you the key is not in yourself. It's not in your trying, but it's in your trusting. It's not in all of your running, but it's in your resting that you find the strength of the Lord. It's salvation. I'm just telling you. I'm just, I'm just telling you. I know it's not politically correct in the day and age in which we live to say there is one way to God. But I'm telling you, there is. And His name is Jesus. There's an answer. And His name is Jesus. There's one who can take your jacked up, messed up, broken life. And I don't care if you live in the biggest house in the county or if you don't have, you don't have a house to live in. I'm telling you, the only answer is Jesus. It's faith to commit to God's leading. To do what he is asking you to do. To go where he's asking you to go. So I'm preparing this message. 30,000 feet. I just felt like there were going to be people here today, this weekend. That God's asking things of you that you're reluctant to give. You don't answer to me. You don't need to say anything to me. But he's speaking to your heart even now. And are you willing? Are you willing to trust him to commit? Because that's what faith requires. You're holding out. See, Naomi and Ruth didn't have those options. And I, here's one thing I know. You see it in Scripture. God will either allow the situation, the circumstances in your life to get you to that place that will break you, or you can break yourself. But to the level in which someone's broken is the level in which God uses them. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. To obey and to trust is always better than to come to the end of yourself because of poor choices and poor decisions. And I believe there are people that are here today that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're not following God's leading in your life. You're not surrendering to that. Maybe you're a student and God's calling you into full-time ministry. And I'm telling you, this is something that's been on my heart this week. And I don't mean to sound like some old school preacher. But I'm telling you, in order to see what God's going to do in this last day, we have to have sharp, intelligent, high-capacity students and teenagers that are willing to give of themselves and forget the world system and forget about making money and forget about this and forget about that and just say, God, I'll do everything. I'll give anything. 
I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll walk away. Isn't that what Jesus said? Unless you're willing to walk away from a house and home and mother and father and brother and sister and forsake all for the kingdom, you're not worthy to be my disciple. I'm telling you, you're going to hear me talk more about this. But, 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 but there are students, and I believe there are students that are in this room today, that God is speaking to your heart to surrender to his leading. And in that moment, in that moment, it's your choice. But that's how God's going to put his extra on your ordinary. The faith is to trust God. I think sometimes the most spiritual things we can do is just don't quit. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. Just don't quit. Man, Aaron, I've, I've given my life to Christ. And I've committed to his leading. Just, just don't quit. As I stood there this week in a, in a warehouse in the main corridor in Liverpool with Luke Bryant. He said, I want to show you this building that I got to have 100,000 pounds for by the end of the month. It's crazy. But he said, I want you to see it. And it was a great location, a great deal. And we walked in. And he goes, and here's what I see. And I, I love walking around people that have vision. Because I don't, he doesn't see a warehouse, he sees a church. Because I've been there, man. When I saw this, nobody else did. Or there weren't very many. And I looked at him and I just said, Luke, don't quit, bro. Don't quit. They said the church in Europe is dead. But the church that I just saw, there were people sitting on the floor. I don't even know if they do that in America. Don't quit. I don't know how we're going to get you 100,000 pounds. I don't have the money to write it. But you don't need me. You need God. Don't, don't quit. And he looked at me and said, that's all I needed to hear, man. That's all I needed to hear. It's just like saying, as we'd say in the, in the South, it's just like saying, sick them to a dog. I mean, it's just, it's on. You're like, white on rice, man. It's there. I'm just there. I don't know where you are today, but I believe there are people here today that you need to give your life to Jesus.